Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. Today, we're joined by Sarah Hanks, one of my favorite contributors, um, and a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Sarah did a piece that we put into the newsletter on process mapping. Uh, she did a blog a couple of weeks ago about waste, and she's got another blog that's going up shortly relative to data. And in preparation to this conversation, Sarah and I were talking about something she did earlier this week, which was to create a lecture at a school. So, Sarah, good good afternoon to you. Good to see you. Why don't Why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of what happened to you and, and what kind of an epiphany that created? Yeah. So, um, the one of the local universities they have um, an MBA program. Um, they have both online students as well as in-person students. And in order to drive um, more of that sense of community amongst the students, um, they put together a lecture series where they wanted to take you know, people that were doing specific jobs from industry and then bring them into the classroom and provide some instruction. And that way they get the perspective of the actual experience instead of just the textbook learning. Um, I had asked, um, they had reached out to me. I've done some guest lectures at this university in the past. So I happily said, yes, um, I did procrastinate and putting my content together. <laughs> um, and you know, they, what they asked, or I gave them a list of subjects I could speak to and they, uh, down selected to project management, which represents about half of my career, and Lean Six Sigma continuous improvement, which represents the other half of my career. Um, and as I was creating the content, what I realized is that what makes me effective today in the work that I do and the work that my team does for the company I work for is really that that merging of both. And so um, what I had realized is that Lean Six Sigma or the Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, Control framework really has gaps in it and it's missing key elements of project management. And so for the lecture, what I did is marry the two together and showed what could be done differently from a problem solving standpoint that maybe would make projects more successful. Things like managing a budget, defining a schedule, um, introducing a communication plan, <laughs> and then also looking at risk um, and how those items, if you merge them, merge that thinking and tools and project management that help facilitate those things into project management or into continuous improvement framework, you actually kind of end up, you know, not just solving problems, but doing it in a more effective way. But it's interesting that the school asked you to do that and then the way that you twisted it, because those two things are mutually exclusive and yeah. from an education perspective. Yes. Project management is a, is a subject matter all of its own and continuous improvement or Six Sigma, whatever we want to label it, that's another one. You have to have facility and expertise in both in order to be able to do what you were able to do and putting them together. I'll bet you the audience was a little bit taken aback by that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, we talked about, um, I, it, yeah, I think a lot of it actually landed pretty well when I mentioned 
you know, like in the defined phase up front and starting to, you know, think about risk in the beginning of a project. You don't talk about risk and, you know, in Lean Six Sigma, you're talking about how do you define your problem? What's your scope? And if you have your risks identified up front, they might add some constraints to your project early on um, that that would help you because you're not going to discover them after you've already invested all this time. Yeah. And I I think that's pretty typical of, of the way technology has evolved. If you think about the origin of Six Sigma, TQM, CQI, 5S, all of these other things. That was industrial engineering. It was a very rudimentary, very detailed, laborious task that would have been there for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And Duran and, and Deming kind of were the late 70s, early 80s here, earlier than that in Japan. But so it's only been 50 years, 40 years. Mm-hmm which in the overall scope of things is not very much time. And then if you bring it forward and start looking at data analytics, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, telematics, all of this stuff, mm-hmm. it's each of them is being treated as a, a discrete, unique task function when they need to be merged and make this jigsaw puzzle or this mosaic, whatever you want to call it, that's a tool that everybody not only can use, but can understand. Yeah. A lot of people look at six segments and say, what is that? Well, because I, I think part of the challenge with that is, you know, when Motorola had so much success, um, all the companies defined or decided to jump on the Six Sigma bandwagon and try to shoehorn every problem into that way of problem solving. And it doesn't always make sense. You know, not every problem is a variation issue and you don't want to go after Six Sigma from a purist standpoint all the time because you're going to do it. It's just going to cost too much money to get there. But the, the, that's I think that's a very natural circumstance to find the limits, the boundaries of the use of this tool. Mm-hmm. We have to pass them. We have to cross them. So yeah. like you said, Motorola tried to shoehorn everything into it and found, oh, darn. It doesn't all work. So now we start getting selective about what we'll put down that channel. And guess what? We left all that other stuff alone. We didn't do anything. Yeah, I know. And then it sits on the shelf and we, or it gets a a bad bad reputation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it, no, it's, you need, you need a a toolbox with lots of ways of doing things. And and each problem is unique and how you solve it is going to be specific to that problem. And when you have like this, when you have a lot of tools to pick from, you know, it's a lot easier than just trying to start a fire with a hammer. Like it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, the, the, the trick with that again, though, is that hardly any businesses have the scope of employees that have that skill set. Yeah. General Electric, when you were there, it's a large company. There were a lot of people trained in the same discipline. Yeah. Um, but if you think back to the folks that, really got it you're still looking at single digit percentages of the total population that was involved in the classes sure and anytime there's in my experience whenever there was a severe issue there was only three or four people that would be tapped on the shoulder to go help solve it and And they were the ones that taught the curriculum and everybody knows who they are even today the you know friend of mine he writes i do murder mystery theater for charity fundraising. The writer of that is one of these people. He hasn't worked at the company in 
um, I don't know, six years. And he's still talked about <laughs> as being the expert problem solver. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it comes back to discipline in, in every respect. Example, documentation. Yeah. We're terrible at that. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking with data analytics, what you just wrote about, without good data, we're dead. I don't know how you make decisions without good data. Well, and I'll bet you money that 80%, 90% of the data that everybody's playing with today is dirty. Yeah. It's not clean. Mm-mm. I just went through a, a project with a rather large organization, and they had five to seven years worth of history. We ended up only being able to use six or eight months of this year because of changes in systems, et cetera. One of the things that you write about and that you and I talked about, ownership of data. Yeah. Somebody has to own that piece of information. And if anybody tears change or touch that and it's mine, I own you. That's right. <laughs> you're, you're not going to do that a second time. Yeah. We don't have I mean, that discipline either, do we? No. And I think, you know, I... I I have a strong or a lot of experience in quality. And I, you know, I I grew up with ISO standards and process documentation. And, you know, it almost feels like that should exist. And I think sometimes it does. Um, But data should just be an extension of that, right? Like you have your people, your processes, your tools, but all of that produces data and it should be defined and documented and um, owned (laughs) who's allowed to change it. Who's allowed to clean it. Um, You know, what's the, what's the quality baseline of the data and it should be no different than how you would treat your products, right? You're going to understand your, what the level of quality is of the products or services that you supply. And chances are, you're going to have a plan to work improvements to that standard. Data should be no different. You know, it's, it it would be very um, necessary to put together a plan to improve your data quality. One of the things that seems to be going on also is that a lot of businesses are using different software packages for different functions. Mm -hmm. And rarely do they talk to each other. <laughs> and another element is, well, they'll have a whole bunch of data elements that are common. And two systems updating the same data element. Now we have fun. Oh, yeah. And that's going to be a huge job opportunity for a lot of people in the future. Synchronizing all of these different systems. We're, you know, you're going to have to have a translator out there. Here's Salesforce, here's a DMS, here's a financial package, here's an HR package, put them all together. So you're going to have this group in the middle that's going to pull from all these places and create a new one. Yeah. That's the only way it's it's going to work. I mean, if you've got got, um, the IT resources, if you have a, a big IT team, you might be able to go with a single source of truth approach and define the system that's going to govern the the master data that all the other systems feed on. And I've seen where that, that can and does work, but 
but it takes a good amount of investment. So if you have that third party that's going to connect the systems together, they're often called master data management tools. Now you can have for just a little bit of money, have like a translator so that it knows, you know, customer ABC and this some means customer ABC.inc in the system. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like chief information officers are becoming relatively common. But like you say, that's that requires a big budget. Yeah, it does. And most of the companies in, in the world are small. Yeah. Yeah, hundred million and down is almost in, in an investment world, um, investing in the company world, dangerous. Because you can spend three to five million, three to five percent of, of your business in a heartbeat. Yeah. And in many cases, the net pro- taxable income is less than three to five percent. So you're you're rolling the dice on the whole damn business. Oof. Yeah, oof is right. Yeah. And like you said, there's three or four people that we call on all the time because they're the ones that know how to do it. Yeah. It's it's kind of cute. So how do you like teaching? Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's much better in person. I'll tell you that too. Um, much harder? It's, I like having the, the feedback of the body language in the room. I think being able, because the other two lectures that I, I delivered um, were done through WebEx, yeah, or through uh, Zoom. And it's, you get, if people are off their mic and they are talking, you get to see their, you get to see them and interact interact that way. But um, it nothing replaces that real time. Okay, I'm understanding what you're saying. Oh my gosh, the biggest, um, I don't know, compliment I could have is when people are taking notes. Yeah. Well, the other thing that you want to do, and I don't know if you've done this, but next time you're in front of a crowd, they've all got laptops, PDAs, something. Mm -hmm. Put a question up on the screen and take 45 seconds and have them answer the question. The 50-minute university class or hour and 15-minute university class, they found in the last three years that breaking them up into eight to 15-minute chunks with a question increases learning, but more importantly, retention as much as 50%. I, I believe it because you have that interactive element now. Yeah. And in the classroom, I could always do it because I can see whether they're getting it. And, and I'm one of these jerks that I would get right up in somebody's face, you know, know, (laughs) what's going on, but Virtually putting that quiz in there, we've just segmented all of our classes so that you we've got between five and 15 segments in a three-hour class. So the worst case is 20 minutes yeah. between, and there's a quiz at the end. So I don't think our experience is different than other people. The first time we did this, 30 to 50% of the kids, people, adults got it right. Mm-hmm. We only have one question. The second time we did it, another 10 or 20 or 30 minutes later, it went to 50 to 75 because some people figured, well, wait a second, this jerk's going to be asking me a question. I better pay attention. That's right. The third time it was well above 90% got it right all the time. And from that point on, so they knew yeah. what the routine was. 
when I was going to school, we'd have these things. We would find out who liked to take notes and the rest of us didn't need to go to class. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, honestly, you know, very few, this is a slam at what I used to do, but very few professors actually are good teachers. They're good at talking the subject. They're very smart. They they know the subject matter cold. Yeah. But transferring that information to other people, that's a different gig altogether. That's a different skill set. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah, and I noticed that too, even in industry, we have, you know, classes that are delivered internally to help with different skill sets. And there's those that can teach and those that are subject matter experts. And, and that's fine. Subject matter experts are very important. Yeah. There's just not many of them. That's the trouble. Yeah. So the teacher, again, go back to systems. The teacher is a translator, an interface between the subject matter expert and the unwashed brethren that have to do it, have to work with it. And somebody is always necessary to be a, a, a communicator in the middle. And, and that's where the teaching, my granddaughter is going to be teaching next semester, a couple of classes and I'm hopeful that she likes teaching because that she's a bit of a nerd kind of runs in the family but she's her specialty is animal science okay so she's dealing with sheep and cattle and chickens and things of that nature and diseases which is I said that's really cool she said I love research and I won't tell you some of the things that she gets involved with because they're rather crude and rough, you know, rough. But I said, is that what you want to do? And and think about it, the people in the room listening to you talking, mm-hmm. you're you're giving them a foundation that allows them to evaluate whether that subject matter is something that's of interest to them. Yeah. Yes, they're taking the class, but some people are, it's going to resonate with and they're going to let's go. This is it, which is Neve. And I said, she said, I love doing the research. And I said, well, how about you be a teacher and you have three or four researchers that do projects for you, like you're doing for your professor? Mm -hmm. She said, well, yeah. I said, that'd be more interesting, right? She said, oh, yeah. My grandson, he's going into university. How do you know what you want to do? The the people that are transferring information like you just did at that school Mm -hmm. made the subject matter real. And then they can draw a conclusion as to whether that's something. Or even the professors, I think you were indicating, saying, well, gee, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. This is important stuff. It's, yeah, I, I, I think so. And I have a follow-up meeting as a result of it, too. One of the students um, who's in business, professional, had some questions on culture and trying to be a change agent when the culture is execution focused you you're not necessarily patient in that culture to like spend time up front really understanding and dissecting the problem um and he wants to talk further into like what kind of options and techniques can somebody in middle management have um with problem solving when you're in an environment where everybody just wants to do 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 you need to transition the company the department from transactions from being a transactional organization to being an aspirational organization. And no joke, those words are are powerful 
if if all you're doing is your employees doing everything they were told what to do and being asked to do it faster and with less mistakes, uh, sooner or later, like how how can that be exciting to any person on the planet? Oh gosh, that's how can you innovate? You're not in that culture. You're just gonna it's status quo. Well, guess what? Your competition's gonna probably figure that out and figure out how to do it better. <laughs> well, not just that. You're not going to keep the employees. Anybody that's worth oh. keeping is not going to stay in an environment like that. Would you want people working for you that were content with the status quo? The lot of, I, one of the transitions we're going through, and maybe you see that in the classroom and, and in your work, the last 40 years, we got kind of complacent. Yeah. Inflation was relatively static. Unemployment was static. GDP growth was static. Yeah, there were some blips, but they, as Welch used to say, they're getting shorter and shallower every time. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden we've got a major disruption. Yeah. And people don't know what to do with it. No. It's just batting the hatches, continue what we've been doing because it's worked so far. Yeah. I'm not sure what to do anymore. That's what happens to innovation, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's not just the worker bee, it's leadership too. It's leadership. It's, you know, yelling, yelling for things, yelling at your employees because parts aren't on time doesn't make them arrive any faster. And does, you know it, make, I mean? does it make the person who's yelling feel any better? Oh, I'm sure it does. It's not going to matter though. What, what's, I, <laughs> I, as you know, I used to travel all the time and airports and there's a lot of rude people, but I used to love the situation in customer service where somebody's really upset with me for something that the company has done. Mm-hmm. And they're this far from my face, they're screaming and yelling and spittles going everywhere. And, you know, they take a breath and I look them in the face and say, do you feel any better now? And that causes them to go up the wall, across the ceiling again. You know, yeah. If they're embarrassed, know. they could react very, very. <laughs> yeah. The only reason, you know, the only you're not mad at me. I just yeah. happen to be nearby. Yeah. You know, and seriously, do you feel better by being an idiot? What's the problem? Let's look at it calmly. Let's fix it. Yeah. Where's the data? Going back to data. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So. Sarah, we're giving a little bit of a hint away, but Sarah has agreed to put together a lecture series for us on this whole thing um, because of her expertise in manufacturing and Six Sigma and project management, all the rest. The we the project process mapping that you put into the newsletter has received unbelievably powerful response. And the same thing is true with your blogs. You. Uh, there's a, a thirst for this information. So you know, the the more that you can get it out there, and I think it would be beneficial for your team and your employer to get it more broadly um, understood. And a byproduct you shouldn't overlook is put together a book that can be sold along with it. Yeah. We're putting books up on our website. You, afterwards, go to the homepage and slide down. There's mm-hmm. We're going to have a bunch of different people uh, putting their offerings out there. So, oh, nice. I mean, yeah. I definitely referred to your site for recommended reading. So, yeah, there's enough there, isn't there? Yep. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to update that list, by the way. There's probably 50 to 70 books that aren't on there that should be. The, how, how can we fix this data 
issue other than ownership. Well, I think it's, oh, sorry. No, it, 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 I'm, I'm concerned about the multiple systems and how we fix that. Is there an alternative for a small business? Is there an alternative that would work other than outsourcing and having somebody put together a mechanism that's like a, a central station for everything? Um, well, yeah, I think when it comes to like putting together a plan to improve data quality, I think, I mean, identifying who the owner is, is, is part of it. I think the other thing is identifying what data. Um, if you think about the data that it takes to run an organization or the data that you wish you had to run your organization, um, it could be, be pretty massive. Um, and so I think it's really important to like prioritize what data to look at. Um, and so there's probably five to seven th- data things <laughs> that are critical to an organization. You know, your customers are going to be included in that. Um, any suppliers are going to be included in that, your employees. Um, and I think it's important to start with that that basic data um, and get it right. And it, how that looks might be different um, depending on what that data is. If you can get it to a single system, great. Um, even if it's manually managed, like if you had a Excel translation table, that's going to take a little bit of elbow grease to put together, but do an extract of your customers from your CRM and extract of customers from your financial system and make sure that you know how to make the same, you know, that you have that translation table. You can do that in Excel. That's just going to take a little bit of time. Um, So I would prioritize your critical data first. Um, The what I would do to evaluate the data is do an audit of it. I would take maybe 10% of your customers to start with and manually look at how they are in each system. Is it easy to, to track one versus the other? Um, you know, does the legal team agree with the financial team? Does that agree with your sales team on the name, right? Your customer name. Um, and that would also doing an audit, you can quantify the percentage of accuracy, missing values, you know, you can, and then work a plan accordingly to kind of close those gaps. And um, after they. So looking at those, you you mentioned seven things. I can only think of four, your employees, your customers, your suppliers, your assets. Yes. And your, or your product An asset and product might be different. Okay. Okay, and then the other piece is what I call delivery systems, which is we transact things on the telephone, on the internet, in person, facts, the the different, and each of those has a different process map, Mm -hmm. uh, has different skills requirements. Um, And and Mary, very few companies have these things. Just those, the, the, the four or five, yeah, you know, just listing everything that's important from a supplier perspective. What data do I need to, what data elements do I need to have? We've had data dictionaries, Sarah, for 50 plus years. But it's interesting you still refer to let's do it in Excel rather than access. Because wow. somehow the perception of the database, oh, that's too complicated. 
<laughs> it would I, definitely be easier in access. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> no, no question about it. And, yeah. and the other side of that is go back to the same thing about those three or four people. Yeah. That Excel is a really good tool. How many people do you know that are really good at pivot tables? Not very many. Because I ain't one. I'm doing a webinar on that soon too. <laughs> well, it's, no, but that's an important piece of the puzzle, isn't it? With yeah. pivot tables, we're making Excel operate like it's a database. That's right. Same thing with VLOOKUP and it's no different. It's database. Why, why have we chosen to do it that way? Is it because our implementation, our learning curve is easier? I think it's um, a little bit of a learning curve easier, but I also think there's a familiarity element to it as well, right? Like most people have basic Excel skills. So to add on, it's not even just like learning the skill of understanding how data sets join together, how you can summarize data sets through pivot tables. It it looks familiar just as much, you know what I mean? So yeah. yeah, and I guess the publishing software has done the same thing, right? They take a Word document and allow us to make it look pretty and create a book. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess it's it's learning curve implementation of familiarity. The um, database is still my choice, my preference, because I'm lazy. <laughs> with database, I don't really need to duplicate things. And I no. can use the same process for multiple. Avenues. Well, yeah. And if you can connect your database directly to your source system, now you can have real-time access to the data and up, updating things becomes really easy. Yeah, we kind of had the computer take a long circuitous road to where it is now. It, it's I need an engine that does computations by itself. And I need to feed that computation engine with problem solutions, process solutions. Mm-hmm product solutions, employee solutions, customer Mm -hmm. solutions, all of these different things, right? Mm -hmm. And those are all going to be expertise-driven, like what you're doing now compared to what you were doing with GE. Yeah. You've got a much broader scope today, I'm assuming, than you had with General Electric. It's, um, mm, I think it's, it's different. I don't know if I would say it's a larger scope necessarily. Broader. Broader, yeah. You're, you're touching on more things than you were doing at, at General Electric. I suspect. Right. Oh, sure, because there are less people. So <laughs> you have to wear multiple hats. Um, and it, it's I'm in an organization now that's not a program. I've, you know, most of my all general electric project management experience was based on a funded program. So there was budget set aside to accomplish something very specific. And that's what you set out to do. Now I'm part of regular expense. So, you know, we just navigate our organization and try to find problems we're solving to substantiate keeping the team, you know? Yeah. Everything, everything is going to rely on funding, isn't it? It's 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 going to be it's going to be really interesting because our our everything is predicated on productivity. 
and productivity like waste is lack of productivity but we don't really look at waste as being i mean we should have sacred cow hunts looking for wasteful things non-value-added things that should be a constant deal every quarter we should kick off a new tons of it and we don't talk about value chain anymore the value stream right like People talk about their metrics and the what they need to do and they measure the what they need to do. But the conversation is very little about what's, yeah, what's it take to get the job done and what is, where is that waste? What is that waste? What does it look like? If you have work just sitting idle and nobody working on it and it's piling up in a queue, it's not adding value. I don't know that there's anybody truly, Sarah, in, in a business whose job function is to find and eliminate waste. Should be. Should be. It's like be. forms today. Is there a need for a form anymore? <laughs> no, not maybe not. <laughs> no, Especially maybe. like a customer-facing website, right? Like. Yeah, it's, but again, those are fundamental questions. That, you know, originally when I started, a part sales order had six copies, and it okay. was carbon separated. Uh, okay. And you had to have specially named colors, and each color went to a specific place. Yeah. And that was one of the first things that I thought was important. If you need to have a paper document. Why don't we just have one for them and one for us? And that's the end of it. Yeah. And just that one statement, any document you have in any company that has more than two copies, one for us and one for them. Yeah. It's waste. Yeah. Filing cabinets. Why do we have them? To keep records. Why don't I keep them electronically? Oh, well, in some cases there's regulations that haven't changed yet and you're required uh, to keep the physical copy. I'm, I'm, I'm running a computer shop in the seventies in Canada. The Canadian government asked me to provide to them on electronic form, my receivables file, my payable file and my payroll file, okay. which I refused to do. And they went to the owner, said it's required by law for you to give us this stuff. And we're not getting it from your company. So he comes up to me and he says, why did you turn them down? Mm -hmm. I said, you want them to be able to analyze all your customers and what they buy and all your suppliers and what you buy and all your employees and what they pay? Yeah. Without somebody sitting in front of you? No. And he said, oh, no. I mean, that was just a 25-year generation difference. You know, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit more current on it. But you have businesses everywhere. Mm-hmm. Data ownership, that's an alien term. How do we get people to start understanding that somebody has to own that? And the reason I'm going this way is who determined what the metrics are that are important? Yeah, um, the leader of the organization, or maybe carryover, depending on. 
what would you say from your experiences with your clients and with General Electric? Forget sales revenue, forget profit, forget, forget asset management. What are important metrics? What are the things that you want to be able to look at a company and say, those guys are good? Well, I think, well, I always do. It's not, it's, not, it's not fair to ask you that question without some warning, but oh, I, we have that everywhere. Is sales for employee a good metric? Sales for employee. I don't particularly care for it, but. Okay. So why don't you? Um, I, I agree with you, by the way. But why, like, why don't, don't you like it? I feel it? like it's too. If you want to improve the metric, what are you going to do? You're going to reduce people. And I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think you could repurpose people if you find productivity opportunities. You can maybe take on things that you didn't take on as a company if you had those extra people and repurposed them. And then so it's going to take a while to ramp those things up. So let's just say you decide to, instead of reducing the people, you reallocate them to something else. It's going to take time for that something else to mature to a point where it is going to create revenue. So now you have this lull where you have a terrible metric that you're trying to explain away. And yeah, I don't agree with that one. <laughs> and I don't either, but it, it's, it's one that has been very seriously used by people everywhere. Mm-hmm. Number of widgets produced per hour. Um, doesn't say anything about the quality. Nope. So, you know, a productivity number without a quality uh, attachment is not a good measure. Well, it's, I mean, I like to say that for everything, there's, there should be a time element and there should be a quality element and that way they can be, they can balance each other because if you are too strict on quality, you might be sacrificing time. And if you're going too fast, you might be sacrificing quality. So you need both. So in the 40 years from 82 to 2022, sales per employee as a metric in the parts business has doubled. Okay. Is it coincidental that market share is halved at the same time? <laughs> Maybe. But nobody looks at that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's it, again, when we look at process mapping, we look at waste, we look at data, ownership, the whole thing with Six Sigma and project management, these metrics typically come from financial systems, not management systems. Mm-hmm. And financial systems are black and white, and that's important. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But that's not the be all and end all of everything or of well, every discussion. Aren't they latent too? It, so, they're, they're static rather than dynamic, in, in, yeah. in my view. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, um, the, the challenge on Six Sigma, everybody wants to be a black belt. <laughs> and, and that's cool. Um, and there's classes. But then just like what you did in the classroom, putting project management and process management together. Mm-hmm. Six seven by itself is nothing. Mm-mm. 
applying it and how and where you apply it is the whole magic, isn't it? Yeah. So identifying where it is necessary, like you were kind of, you were, we're, we're going to do a, a risk analysis. Wherever there's risk, let's have a look. Wherever there's leakage, waste, whatever, let's have okay. a look. Let's take let's a look. identify what those things are and, yeah. and get down in depth with people that know what they're doing on that particular, it's like medicine. You know, yeah. gastroenterology and obstetrics, obstetrics are, are different deals. They're different. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's um the example I used to like, I, you know, talk about how not everything fits is like waiting in line, going through airport security. And so I asked the, the room, I said, well, what's a reasonable amount of time to wait through security? And they're, someone said five minutes. Okay. So five minutes is our goal. <laughs> And if we were looking at it from a pure Six Sigma standpoint, we may invest in a whole bunch of um, screening machines to make sure that we never had above a five minute wait, right? And then I had the second example of lean, right? Lean is all about um, just in time um, and single piece flow and using a pull system. So I had it set up so like each step of the process would only have one person. And so at the end, the beginning of the process, it's a person on their cell phone, like in their car. And if you're doing single piece flow, right. And you have a person that forgot their ID in a lean world, you have to stop the line and wait for that defect to get resolved before continuing to process. Well, if the person needs to drive 30 minutes to go home and get their passport, you know, that's not going to work either. Um, so it was just, I don't know, a, a practical way to introduce that idea that not everything can fit a cookie cutter approach to solving problems and that you really want to evaluate things like constraints. You know, you you have no control over a lot in that situation. So you need to... Um, cut out the waste that's going to work for that specific thing. One of the things that, you know, we used to use this in, in the customer service training side of things. And one example was a restaurant that operates seven days a week. It's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And a guy goes in with a, another fellow. There's two men going in to have dinner. Mm-hmm. And it's six o'clock at night and the place is busy and, and he says, okay, I'd like a table for two. And he says, well, it's going to be a wait about 45 minutes, sir. And he said, okay, but you've got a bunch of empty tables over there. Why don't you open them up and let us go sit there? He said, well, we're never busy on Tuesday. Well, you're busy tonight. Well, we don't have enough servers here. Said, well, do you mind if I sit there with my friend? So they did. He gets on the phone. He orders a Domino's pizza. <laughs> It gets delivered to the front door. Mr. Smith, <laughs> Mr. Smith, your delivery is here. And, and the people at the front desk over said, you can't do that. You can't eat here. I said, why not? You're not using this. It's It creates like the, the airport example is perfect. A line at a grocery store or a drugstore or getting into a theater or trying to evacuate something, a stadium when there's a, a fire. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's, 
We have no idea of all of these different applications. When you bring them up, people can resonate with that example, this airport check-in line. Mm-hmm. Do you know why we have problems with security at airports? Seriously, do you know why? No. The airlines want to have the flights between 6 and 9 in the morning and between 4 and 8 at night. Oh, yeah. And if, that's the when airport, it's... if the airports were smart, they'd say, sorry. They'd have a load it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And then everything's easy. Right. And that applies to everything, Sarah. That's the yeah. tarmac. It's the baggage. It's the gates. It's everything. Yeah. But, oh, no, we can't do that. We gotta. We can't inconvenience the public. That's right. Well, we have our nine to fives that we need to be able to get on a plane and get to the office at a certain time and then be home for dinner did later. We not, did we not learn anything in the WFH era? Oh, yeah. Nine to five has nothing to do with anything. No. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's almost everything that we do anymore is subject to your expertise in completely radically reforming it. Yeah. Shopping, grocery shopping. We can do that all online now. That's right. Somebody will deliver it to us now. Yep. I mean, all of these things and, and you know, it's it's going to be really interesting because I'm convinced and I'm just a lonely idiot out here that people want to use their time in different ways than my generation did. We would go to work eight to five or whatever the hours were and that was it. Mm-hmm. If there was overtime available and you needed more money, you took the overtime. So instead of being away eight hours, you were away 10 hours or 12 hours. Yeah. And that way, one parent was able to work and the other parent could stay with the children. Mm-hmm. Can't do that today. It's So all of these things start changing. Yeah. Working from home opened up a lot of people's eyes that, well, wait a second, I don't need to go in. Yeah. Now, generationally, Guys my age said, no, no, you got to come to the office. And I think we talked on the phone the other day, you know, perhaps not, but my daughter's a teacher. Mm-hmm. For two years, they taught virtually. She was not in the classroom. Yeah. The first year that that came down, her school district mandated that the teachers had to go to the classroom. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. None at all. Like you really trust your employees, right? Right. Yeah. And I can know more about them on the computer than I can if they're in the classroom. That's right. But their their minds hadn't got there yet. So that familiarity in Excel that you gave us the example of why we use Excel rather than a database is perfect. There's so many examples like that. Yeah. Why don't we go to church yeah. anymore? Well, I'm playing golf or some other, like I want to be out hiking in the warm weather with the beautiful colors in the fall. That's right. I got other things I want to do. Other yeah. things that make me happy. Work? Well, but if you were asked as a person, as an employee, to how can you make your job better? I think there would be a lot of people who would stick their hands up and say, yeah, I want to participate in that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I'm sure every employee can rattle off at least three things that they wish they could change about the work that they do. You know, headaches, frustrations. Yeah. It, yeah. What what wakes you up at night? Yeah. It's, you know, it, it 
I, I, have I mentioned to you my five things routine? I don't think so. Every quarter to twice a year, I would ask everybody to write down five things on three different subjects. Okay. Give me five things that if you could wave a wand, you would change to make your life at work easier. Okay. Give me five things that at work are a real pain in the butt to do. Mm-hmm. Give me five things that if we could wave a wand and get them done, it would be beneficial for the company, either profit or customer service or and do those. And we get into a meeting room and you just list them off and I put them up on a whiteboard or a flip chart or whatever. And we eliminate duplications and we have three lists. Yeah. And you start to rationalize. Yeah. The number of items that were on all three lists would make your life better, would be better for the company, and currently it's a pain to do, was amazing. Wow. And and I did this in some places as long as 10 consecutive years, and they were still amazing. Wow. Because if so, you, you can know, do all question, three, that's a no-brainer. Well, that's my. you know what my question is. If it's, you know, all of three, what the hell's the matter with you guys? Why haven't we fixed this? <laughs> Why haven't we changed stuck. it? Well, we're waiting for somebody, George or Mary, or to get off your train. Come on. Let's go. Stick your hand up. It's a sore spot. Let's fix it. Ah, we're not conditioned that way, Sarah. No. Empowerment? What? Yeah. Yeah, we got a long way to go, don't we? Yeah, we definitely do. Which is good. I think that's always going to be the human condition, that there are always going to be things that we can do better. Well, that's... But, but these things are a little bit too numerous and a little bit too obvious for us to be still talking about them, in, in my view, anyways. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Okay, so when are you going to start the lecture series? Well, I think I I haven't. I have curriculum identified so i know what subject to be talked about in each lecture i think the next thing i'd like to tackle is like what are the specific objectives of each lecture and then it should be pretty pretty not terrible filling out content yeah it's the learning objective side like the process improvement and you know the the iso standards etc They've got those for schools. We had to go through that for I said for our okay. provider and education. So learning objectives, pretty common. Do you use voice recognition software yet? Um, the no, no. I I know that go, it exists. Even go, even Word, Microsoft Word. Go by Dragon. Naturally speaking. Okay. It's I don't know seventy five to hundred bucks, and. Once you've used it a little bit, you just, I just talked to the computer. The first classes we did back in the 90s, it, it wasn't anywhere near as powerful as it is today, but mm-hmm. that's how I did all our, our textbooks. 250 page books. Wow. I would talk to the computer, then I'd go back and edit it. But it, in so far as organizing your thinking, it's a wonderful tool. Okay. And it's it's inexpensive as hell. Now you could you've got it on your phone too. You can yeah. record into your phone, either Android or Apple. But anything that makes the task easier, because mm-hmm. putting together content for an hour lecture 
you're going to be looking at maybe 45 to 75 slides with audio. And then what kind of, you know, diversions do you want? You can make film clips with the camera you've got coming in. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to stand up and talk to it, or you can sit in front of it and talk to it. And, you know, it, it really makes a nice presentation tool. Okay. So also for Six Sigma or project management or whatever, all of these aids, communication aids yeah. are, are really important. Okay. I know I have um, developed some templates like an Excel spreadsheet that's got printables, for example, to help facilitate process mapping in a visual way and things of that. I mean, I don't know. I'd like to make that those kinds of supplemental materials available as well. But also copyright them. Okay. Make, you know, it's your content. Make sure you get it looked after and, and you own it. Mm-hmm. Um, it you know, it's it, it can't, you're never going to catch everybody, but it'll, it'll slow some yeah. people down, you know? Okay. But yeah, it's, you know, what you're, what you're doing, what the message you're getting across is so critical today and so important but it's also fraught with resistance. People, it scares people when they're asked to do, they go, my best example, I'm in Moscow and I'm, I'm working with a company and the guy I'm talking to is an MBA, really mm-hmm. well-educated guy. And I did my five questions with him. He said, no, no, don't, don't do that. I said, why not? Why? Said, no, no, don't, we, that's not the way. Just tell me what you want me to do and go away. They just were so conditioned. I said, this is how things are. I'm not going to, like, you get whacked over the side of the head if yeah. you try and do something out of, out of norm. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. There was a guy exactly, he was born the same day and the same year as I. Single man, um, 20% owner of a corporation, was a colonel or, or higher with the FSB. Okay. No family to speak of, had an apartment in Moscow and a, and a Dachau out of town, 45 minutes or so away. And he's frustrated. I said, well, why don't you leave? He said, I can't leave. I said, sure you can. You can get on a plane with me. He said, where can I go? I said, you can come to Canada. Anywhere you want. <laughs> yeah, come to Canada with me. You know, he says, no, you don't understand. This has been thousands of years. We're downtrodden. I said, that's just an excuse, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> You're afraid. And that's true with everybody on all of these things. It's out of their normal way of thinking. Yeah. So it intimidates them. Keep doing what you're doing. It's it's really worthwhile and really valuable. I appreciate it. How do we wrap this up? Well, um, you know, if we want to go back to like talking about data and data quality and and data ownership, I think my my parting words of wisdom would be um, that you don't have to boil the ocean. You can start small, um, improve the quality small bits at a time, and then prove the value that that provides to help um, showcase to the leadership and um, and to get people thinking differently about um, data and data quality. And I think also by doing that, you're also kind of introducing that culture of continuous improvement too. Um, and I don't think anybody will argue that data is 
important. I mean, against data being important. So I think if you focus on data quality and continuous improvement, you might get that other benefit of getting people to think differently and start to expose the waste items and other areas of the process. That's good advice there. Start small. So it was something that everybody can identify with as as important Mm -hmm. and then just give them the model in a, in a small taste treat. Yeah. And I said, well, that wasn't all that bad. Well, let's try another one. Let's, you know, maybe two or three of you can do one individually and just start growing it that way. Yep. It's important. It's an important change is very difficult at the best of times. This is, this is a period of intense change and there's going to be an awful lot of people are going to be left behind this time. Yeah. Well, yeah. Change has been thrust upon us for three years. Big change, big, big change. And it, yeah, if people don't wake up to that fact, I mean, you're going to be left behind, just as you said. So a lot of people that are breathing a sigh of relief that things are going back to normal without oh, recognizing. Weird. Yeah. Well, no, they're all over the place. It's it's really disheartening to me. Yeah, they, but it's they, they they had the opportunity to make wonderful change. Look at your children. Yeah. You know? It's it's remarkable when you take the blinders off. What people see. It's, you know, a great adage that I've had. What would you do if you weren't afraid? I doubt how ski, that's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Thank thank you for the time. Thank you for the blogs. I look forward to the outline and let's uh, don't forget music and everything else. You're going to make this thing a real production, you know? Yeah. Well, I think I've got a logo brand. So there you go. Thank you very much, Sarah, and thank everybody for listening. We look forward to having you with us at the next Candid Conversation. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.